that uh, looks like this, and you can track along with the teaching here. The, uh, we've been talking, we started a little series that we're talking about our mission, our vision as a church, because we haven't talked about it in years. We do it, but we don't talk about it. Uh, and I think when you talk about the church, you know, people go, why church? I mean, like, look around you, John. I don't mean here, but uh, all around our society, people just go, the church, you know, I'm, I'm disillusioned with that whole notion. Uh, they see the church's flaws, uh, and they see the church's sins, there are many, and they just go, you know, why should I invest or believe in or be involved in any way with the church? And I want, you know, I'll tell you, in Jesus' day, it was really no different. There was corruption and problems and misrepresentation of God in, in God's people in Israel that was just as bad as it is today. But Jesus didn't, uh, so to speak, throw the, you know, the baby out with the bathwater. He just said, listen, uh, I'm going to build my church. He made the, that promise. He said, I'm going to build my church. And he didn't just shuck it and say, I don't know, find something to do. You know, Sundays are good for playing golf. Uh, one day, I'm going to invent golf, and you guys are going to love it. Uh, he didn't do that. He, he said, I have a purpose for my people. I have a purpose for a people. And he, and he used the phrase in the book of Matthew, the church. And I want to put up two passages here. We want to talk about what the Lord's doing today. And I believe, no hype, that Jesus is keeping his promise I believe he's keeping us here. I believe he's keeping it all over the place, all over this city and all over the world. Uh, there's two passages. One's in Isaiah. And what I wanted to do is I want to read this out loud together because th there's, there's hope in this passage that I think is going to enter into some of us. And those of us that already have this hope, it's going to just increase it. Uh, so read with me, okay? Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new... Hold on, hold on. Go back. This is, this is pathetic. Do you guys know how to read? Can you, can you say that out loud, what you're reading? Okay, let's, let's do it again. I, I have all morning. Just, you know me. I don't have any problem with taking a while to get through this. So uh, for your sakes, cooperate with me here. Okay, let's start again. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And so... Those two last phrases, away in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland, are, are beautiful pictures. So he's saying, you know, the, 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 the world is a moral wasteland. It's, it's a, it's, out in, the, in a wasteland, there aren't highways and roads. Uh, it's just empty. It's dead. It's desolate. And he's saying, I'm making a way in the wasteland. And then... I'm creating streams in, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And streams, you know, wasteland can become a beautiful garden with water. 
If you go to Israel, Israel is this little amazing strip of land in the middle of the Middle East, in the middle of the desert that's just blooming. They've built desalinization plants all along the coast of Israel, and they've irrigated the desert, and the desert is this, this amazingly fertile place now. And I don't think God was meaning streams in the wasteland meant desalinization plants. I think it had uh, a far richer meaning than that. I believe that it, God was saying, in the moral and spiritual desert, I'm going to do something that's going to produce streams, that's going to pour out streams that are going to make the desert bloom. Now, I want to show you a picture of what that looks like, okay? When, when Jesus left, he left the apostles and, he, and, and a, a, a kind of a ragtag group of believers who were just reeling from what had happened, but they, had, they were holding on to something, and they were waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, uh, go to that passage now, Steve. Uh, Peter preached this sermon on the day of Pentecost after the Holy Spirit had been poured out. And at the end of the, the message, this little group of believers uh, suddenly uh, had a few more people around. They had about 3,000 more people who were now saying, we're followers of Jesus. And they were baptizing them and gathering together. And so this next little section, I want to read this out loud also, if you wouldn't mind. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this, this, this community of people, this unlikely community of people, were birthed out of the, the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus and the preaching about Jesus. And so in the very place among all the people that crucified Jesus, Jesus raised up his community. What an unlikely place. Isn't that like streams in the desert? All the people that, that rejected him, many of them became his followers as the good news about him was preached. And as this community followed Jesus, their lives became this uh, container for Jesus to dwell in, to live in, and to show himself to the world. It was this amazing picture. And so it says here in the early church that in the most hostile place in the world to the, to the, to the teaching and preaching about Jesus, followers of Jesus emerged in the middle of that. Oh, that reminds me. Chris and Amanda just got married two weeks ago, and I forgot to say it last week. You guys stand up. I know it's the middle of the teaching, but they're a better place. Thank you. More satisfied customers. <laughs> so back to this. So 
this, this little passage we read there, this is the church Jesus is building. This is the new thing. This is this new thing that he's building. And you can look at this passage, and there's a lot that stands out about it. I'm just going to touch on a couple of points. And because I, I, what I want to do today is say this, I want to restate that whole passage in a sentence. Say, this is our vision. This is what we've been working on for years and years and years. This is what we want to become, a church like this. And there's other descriptions like this in the New Testament. And, but this is the starting place, okay? This isn't the finishing place. But, that, but for us, that's a little further ahead. We're trying to catch up there. But those guys are trying to get past that. That's where they started. And so there, I'll tell you four things. In fact, it's on your outline. I left some blanks there in case you'd like to fill in blanks. This church that Jesus has built was a, was a people that were focused on Jesus. If you read that passage, everything about that passage is about Jesus. They focused on the apostles' teaching, which was about Jesus. They focused on fellowship. It was the fellowship of Jesus. They focused on breaking of bread. That was worshiping Jesus and remembering his death and burial and resurrection and communion. They focused on prayer to God in the name of Jesus. Signs and wonders were done in the name of Jesus. I mean, it just was about Jesus from beginning to end. So they were focused on Jesus. And you didn't, we didn't read it, but if you went back a couple of verses where Peter was preaching, Peter said at the end of this, this teaching he did uh, to the thousands of pilgrims that were gathered there in Jerusalem, he said, uh, when they asked Peter, because they were convicted by what Peter had preached, they said, brothers, what shall we do? In other words, how are we supposed to respond to what you're saying? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So he's saying that when you believe in Jesus, right here, he's saying you get your sins forgiven and God gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. That God himself comes and lives inside you and the very life of Jesus indwells you and then and, uh, us individually and collectively and then God begins to reveal himself like he did through Jesus to the world. Now he reveals himself through Jesus' body, which is us. Now, I know that's a stretch, isn't it? Like Jesus reveals himself to the world through me. That's right. That's his plan. That is this new thing. Through you. And then collectively through us. And and every visible expression of his body, however big or small it is. And that forgiveness of sins comes when we believe in Jesus. And so they were focused on that. Because people's lives suck. People are messed up. And, they, and many times they don't feel bad about it, but everybody comes to points in their life where they stop and they look and they go, I am self-destructing. In fact, I'm not just self-destructing, I'm destroying the people around me. Is there any hope for me? And the good news of Jesus comes along in those moments through people like us because it came along in our lives when we were at those moments. And so... These people are people focused on Jesus. There are people focused on others. If, if you read that passage, you read this sense of all these people who, who didn't have all that much in common, 
somehow when they met Jesus, they became a people who started caring about other people that weren't necessarily their kin or their, you know, they had some other relation that would ordinarily make them responsible or obligated to care about those people. And you see them selling property and possessions and giving to people when they had need. And something happened in their hearts that made them otherly. That's one of the characteristics of, of the followers of Jesus is, is they begin to become people who really care about others, even people who do, wouldn't ordinarily matter to them, even people that they wouldn't like. You know, that's why we talk about justice here. That's why we talk about the poor because Jesus says the poor matter to God. And, and if you care about God and you have any sense of God's heart, the poor will matter to you because they matter to God. And this otherly thing is a picture of what Jesus is like. If Jesus is living in us, Jesus doesn't do this. If someone's life is messed up, Jesus doesn't move away from them. Like, you're messed up. You're bad. He moves towards them. In the New Testament, Paul wrote a letter to some Christians in this region called Galatia. And in the sixth chapter, he said, listen, if, any, if anybody is caught in sin, in other words, if anybody's life gets out of control and they begin to walk in, in disobedience to God and get into you know, the stuff they shouldn't get into and, and it begins to control their life because that's what happens. When you begin to, to step outside God's boundaries, you begin to become enslaved to a life that looked really pretty until you got out there into it and then you realize this is messed up. He said, if, if someone's trapped in that place, Whatever it looks like, you who are spiritual, meaning people who have the spirit of Jesus living in them, it says restore them in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourselves lest you be tempted. Now what does that mean? In the, the idiom that Paul used there in Greek was, he used a, a phrase that described setting a broken bone. When people fall into sin and they've lost internal integrity, God's people come alongside them and firmly but gently hold them together until they heal up internally. And so the church is supposed to be a place where sinners can come and we will walk up alongside them because we're all sinners and the only reason I'm here is because I had people do this with me over and over and over. And we come as splints and we come alongside people gently and lovingly and we stay close to them. If you have the heart of Jesus, you're, coming, you're trying to come alongside people whose lives are messed up. Now, maybe you go, I didn't know that was part of my job description. John, <laughs> I kind of try to avoid those people because they complicate my life, right? But the church is supposed to be people who have been marked by this cross, and it's more than jewelry it's a message that's changed their lives they've met the person who the message is about and he's begun to reorient their life to begin to live a different way that's what we're supposed to be doing we're supposed to be otherly there are also people who are focused on worship you can see this in here it says that they gather together they broke bread they praise god daily and god's people are supposed to gather regularly 
to celebrate his great deeds and his great works and his mercies and, and just to draw closer to him. Because it's a lot easier, just like it's easier to, to consistently exercise when you have other people with you. Like you see people around, uh, like I see people around here all the time running, and they're running in groups. There's you know, twos and threes and fives, uh, groups of people, and people get trainers because it's easy to do something when you have somebody else, another like-minded person with you. It's even easier when you have a bunch of like-minded people with you. And, and so worship is something that we do with our whole life, but it's also something we do regularly. We gather and we praise God. And God says, I inhabit the praises of my people. When we begin to praise him, when we begin, like, like uh, Jason said a couple of weeks ago, when we declare God's greatness, uh, all kinds of things happen. And they impact us. But God becomes more real to us. Uh, we also, if we're, the, the church that Jesus is building, it's not just a church that's focused on Jesus or on others or on worship. Here it says that it's focused on a mission that those people were witnessing to the fact that Jesus, who had died, had been raised, and he ascended to God's right hand, and he was ruling there. He was the God that their fathers had worshipped. That Jesus was in fact God and he was the way to God. And anybody that believed in him would experience God like the, their fathers, their forefathers had. And so they preached that message over and over and over. And they were witnesses. And uh, Pope John, I'm sorry, Pope John Paul said, modern people are more willing to listen to witnesses than they are to teachers. And if they do listen to teachers, it's because the teachers are more like a witness. And a witness is someone who's had an experience. And it's God is real to them. God has become real to them through Jesus. And they want to tell other people, however poorly they communicate it, someone who has met Jesus personally like you have has power in your story. You don't have to have all the best arguments. You have a story. That Jesus has become real to you. And, and there's, he, he's pulled your bacon out of the fire a number of times. He's been real to you. He loves you. You've experienced that. And you just tell that story. That's what witnesses do. And so those are the kinds of people that, that Jesus draws together to be a people. And it's said besides that, that this, in this little, these five or six verses here, that this church that he's building will have oftentimes a sense of awe or God's presence there. And, and we touch on this every so often. And I mean, there, God, you know, like in worship a day, we sense the Lord's presence here. It was tender. But there's times where it goes beyond that into awe. It, it becomes overwhelming. I talked about that last week. That, that as we keep pressing into God, we will begin to, to see how awesome he is. Uh, it also says that, that there were miracles. And I, I think probably in our church, the last miracle we had was last year when Wendy's, that huge tumor disappeared. Uh, I don't remember any since then, but, but over the course of the 30 plus years that we, since this church was planted, there have been so many miraculous things that it, I, I still, my mind's blown. I have a little... Uh, college uh, composition book. I have, I have three or four. I, I've, I've journaled in those for years and years and years, but I have three or four 
where for a while in the, in the mid-80s and, and late-80s and early-90s, I just wrote down everybody I prayed for over the course of, of a number of years. And I go back every once in a while and look at those and just go, I can't believe, because it, it wrote in there, prayed for this guy, he didn't get better. Prayed for this guy, prayed for this woman, prayed for this family, prayed for this person, then whatever happened or didn't happen. And I remember people who were deaf being healed, people with broken bones, people with cancer, people who were dying in a hospital that were healed, marriages that were restored, you know, kids that we started praying for someone's uh, son, you know, that's like lost and out in the trouble somewhere and how God brought him home. I mean, God does this. Jesus answers prayer. His name is powerful. We come to God through him and God's powerful. Uh, it says that there was this sense of unity that they had in, in this church that Jesus is building. There was unity there. All these people began to, to, to connect together in profound ways. Their lives interlocked, and, and they built friendships, and, and stuff happened that wouldn't have happened ordinarily with, uh, without a lot of work, but even wouldn't ever happen in, in any way, at any time. It said that there was uh, joy. Now, let me tell you something about joy. A lot of us want joy. Right. Raise your hand if you'd like a little more joy in your life. Okay, now, I, now I've got you hooked here. <laughs> Do you know in the, in the New Testament that the single most, the way to joy is through repentance. If you read in Luke 15, when the lost were found and they repented, they rejoiced, and people rejoiced. When we repent, when we really repent, when we own the stuff that we do that's wrong, we find freedom. We find joy. But if we rationalize and excuse and, and you know, play all the games that we all play far too often, we just find nothing but heaviness and, and not joy. And so repentance leads to joy. They had a lot of joy because this group of people, a lot of this group of people were the people that said, crucify him, crucify him. There was a lot of, you know, humble pie, so to speak, to eat in this group of people. There was a lot of, you know, people that had not gone the right way and that, that were coming to terms because of the truth that they are experiencing and seeing that that way of life is a dead end. And so repentance was just a normal part of their lives. And I've heard people today, I've had people come and tell me, John, I've heard this great teaching that we don't have to repent anymore because we're the children of God now. And I go, you need to stay away from that teaching. <laughs> Seriously, if someone is telling you you don't have to repent anymore, that's crazy. I mean, if you're perfect, you don't have to repent anymore. Are you perfect? No. Then you need to repent. Maybe not right this moment. But you're going to act stupid soon. <laughs> and you need to repent when you do. And they go, nah, this doesn't. You know, because repentance is just this negative word. But it's a healthy thing to do. We, we should be experiencing repentance regularly because repentance is part of pressing into God and pressing into a relationship with him 
It's not just this weird, preachy word, churchy word. It's a, a good, healthy thing. Uh, there was love there. There was generosity. There was gratefulness. There was humility. All these amazing things emerged out of the church Jesus was building. And if you keep reading the book of Acts and you read the stories of how this church grew in Jerusalem and all the things that happened there and everywhere that the gospel went, in Samaria and other places, there was just rejoicing wherever this people that God was building would begin to to grow and emerge. And our city needs the church Jesus is building. Our city needs this church. It needs churches like this, many churches. Because our city needs hope. It needs hope that, I say that the city is sort of this faceless thing, but the people in our city need to know that God has the last word over their lives. And we are witnesses to that. We're living witnesses of that. We as a community are. There, there's a famous New Testament scholar who died a year or two ago named Gordon Fee, and he said that the church is the people of God who in their life together bear witness of what the future age is going to be like. Remember how we talk about God's not trying to get us to heaven, he's trying to get heaven into us? That, that that's a superficial way of explaining the gospel to say, you know, when you stand before God, uh, why will you tell him why you should get into heaven? Uh, that's, that, I don't, I'm not saying there isn't truth in that, but that's superficial. God is looking for something far more substantial. He wants, he left us here to be a witness to the world of what that, new, that next age is like, because it's broken into this age. Uh, this world needs love. People don't know what real love is like. People know what shows of kindness with strings attached are like. Do you understand? And that's, that's not that there isn't some truth. Where none of our love is perfect. But the more we swim in the love of Jesus, this undeserved love, and we let it do its work in our hearts, the more we're going to love people around us and show them what real love is like. They're going to see it. People, you guys, a number of you in our church, I know there are people here in our church who, who, who had second cars or third cars because they bought a new car, and they've, instead of selling that car and using that money, which they could, they've given that car to people who were, who were in need that weren't even in our church, just poor people just not necessarily poor people, but people who were in difficult circumstances because they knew, you know, they needed to get to work and they got a crummy car and they're always in stress because of transportation problems. And they were moved out of the compassion and love of Jesus. That's happened tons of times. There's a, there's a guy in our church who's an a auto mechanic. And I know... He paid once for someone's uh, transmission to be replaced, and they didn't even know. I know about it. He did it. I've never told anybody, but uh, maybe I just did. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) 
Sorry, bro, you lost your reward. <laughs> uh, well, we have a few mechanics, so you won't know which one. But he just knew this family couldn't pay for this, and they needed it, and he paid for it. And just said, when they, when they went to get the car, just tell them that a good Samaritan covered it. That's what love does. Love sees the need and, and, in, and in meets it, right? And faith. People don't know what faith is. You know, these are three virtues Paul said, faith, hope, and love. We show people what real faith is. We, we, in our lives together, that we trust God in the midst of challenges. I mean, I was worshiping this morning and just thinking, because I know many of you so well, of different you know, really challenging circumstances different people are in right now. And how I know many of you are just holding on to Jesus and saying, Jesus, uh, you know, like we sang, it, uh, you know, as Brandon led us, your love never fails. It will not fail me. You will not fail me. And even if it seems like you're failing, I know that that's not true, that that's not the final word. And I'm going to hold on to you. And, and a lot of people don't know that that's what faith is. They think faith is just you believe some ideas and that's what it is. And that's, that's is, it, is that part of faith? Yes. But that's not faith that changes your life in connection to God. And so we embody that. So our vision is to become a gospel-centered, growing community. This is in your outline there. A gospel-centered, growing community living for the sake of others for the glory of God. That's what we've done for 30-plus years. That's what we want to keep doing as long as you know, this community goes on. That's, our, that's, that's my summary of Acts 2, 42 to 47. I think you can find everything that's in there somewhere in that little, that little one sentence, one line. And you, as a follower of Jesus, uh, I want to tell you, what, th- th- this is the option for you today. And I, I, I think there's three co- groups of people here today. There's, there's people here who you haven't yet decided to follow Jesus. There's people here who have followed Jesus, but you, you're trying to decide again, do I believe in the church? Do I really believe that God's doing anything like what you just said? I don't know if I've convinced you today, but I think there's probably enough truth in what I said that that God is, you know, knocking on your heart and saying, yeah, yeah. And the thing is, you've been disappointed, you've gotten sidelined, you've compromised, whatever, but that isn't a meaningful part of your life. And then there's people here who it is. So, first of all, one of the lies that the world sells us is, it can offer you something that's worth losing your soul for. You know what I mean? And I don't mean in this Faustian sort of bargain where, you know, the devil appears to you and says, I'll make you famous if you'll give me your soul. The devil, the, the devil does that. that. That is a parable of what the devil does every day in profoundly effective ways. Because there are people who 
have given, who give their life, up, their, their, their life in, in God up every day for their job, for sex, for success, for all kinds of things that, that in, they're not bad things necessarily, but they're substitutes. And if you're here and, and you just have not given your life to Jesus, he wants to forgive you. This is what Peter said to those, that crowd. He said, if you follow Jesus, you surrender your life to him, he will, you, you, God will forgive you of your sins for Jesus' sake because of what Jesus did on the cross because he died for you. He paid the price for your sins. And then he will fill you with the Holy Spirit and your destiny will be to become more and more like Jesus forever. There is nothing better anybody can offer you than that. Seriously. Seriously. There is nothing better that you can get than that. If you follow Jesus, your destiny is to become like him forever and ever and ever and ever. And one of my old mentors used to say, that's, well, that's a deal. I give him this messed up carcass and I get to become like Jesus forever. But if you don't, you get conformed to the world around you forever and ever and ever and ever. So look around you. Look at the world around you. Do you want to be like that forever and become more and more like that and less and less like God forever? Jesus offers that rescue. You know, the separation of the sheep and the goats, it isn't like all these goats and people that live sinful lives, they're going to be mad at God. Why won't you let me come into your heaven? You know? Why won't you let me be more like you? No, we choose our, all the time in our lives what we want to be like, what we value. We invest our lives in the things that are the most important to us. Jesus said you can't serve God and money because one of them will rule and then your life will reflect it. But Jesus says, I have power over that rule. If you give your life to me and you follow me, the same power that raised me from the dead will invade your life and I will begin a work in you and take you on a journey that I will oversee and manage and I will complete. I used to believe it was all up to me. I, man, I'm telling you, I've learned it is not. And if you believe it's all up to you, God wants to disabuse you of that notion. You're probably young and full of energy and you're idealistic thinking, I can do anything, you know, you can't. My odometer's about to turnover to 60 really soon and my experience and the experience of lots of people I respect that show me the same thing if God doesn't take you through it if you don't ride his grace you're not going to get there it doesn't absolve you of of effort it just means it's ultimately up to him and you need to depend on him and he offers you, he offers you Jesus said I'll send you another comforter who will be with you He'll stay with you and he'll be in you. So that's the gospel. Then if you're a believer, I want to ask you something. Some of you, you know, the, our church isn't necessarily the place you call home. Uh, it isn't the church that Jesus has connected you to. But a lot of people here are. And I want to ask you something today. If, if, if we are going to become, as a people, 
something like that vision statement that I laid out or something like Acts 2.42 described, 42 to 47 described. In the beginning of that, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. We're going to break those down in the next few weeks. But the devoting themselves part was important because what it meant was to be devoted to Jesus is to be devoted to him in very particular ways. And the apostles took that from all the the days and weeks and months and three years of instruction and interaction with Jesus, and they realized this is what people really need to invest their lives in to become what God wants them to become and what we need to become. But that devotion part kind of cuts against the grain of American attitudes towards the community called the church. Because devotion is not what characterizes most people's attitude towards what's called the church. It's not devotion to the apostles' teaching. It's not devotion to fellowship. It's not devotion to worship. It's not devotion to prayer, unless I'm in a tight spot. Uh, And it's not devotion to that in any way with a community sort of orientation. And I believe that God's doing a new thing. And I don't want to use that. I think that phrase is hyped a lot. I'm, I'm saying it in the most non-hype way I can think of using it without taking a lot of time to try to nuance this. It's to say, listen, every church at every minute of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year, is God trying to do something new in the world. He's trying to reveal his son Jesus through our life together, not our life individually, primarily. Because Jesus said they're going to know your disciples, you're my followers, by your love for one another. We it's hard to show anyone love on the desert island that a lot of us live in. And that's a very American thing. We're so individualistic and we're so isolated despite all of our social media. You know, which thank you guys for turning your phones off today. I haven't heard one ringer. Appreciate it. Now I know some of you are looking at it. I can see the light shining up on your faces. I want you to know. All right. You're busted. But there's something that, that we have to re-up regularly, which is to say, Lord, this is not a perfect group of people. It's not perfectly led. It, it doesn't have perfect outcomes in all of its outreaches and ministries and its small groups have problems and, and, you know, and the carpet really looks bad. <laughs> and, when, and Lord, when we moved the chairs around the auditorium recently, we couldn't believe how bad it looked. But Lord, you're in this thing, this particular community. And I really want to ask you to consider as we go through this series that God's trying to speak to you about being devoted in a new way to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, prayer. Like when you hear us talk about prayer every morning and, and fasting and praying regularly every week, this is part of how the new thing emerges in the world. Do you understand? And the world around you is trying to conform you to its image. 
And Jesus says, I'm going to dwell among these people who, gosh, if I didn't love them, I don't know what I'd think. He dwells among us. He dwells among all these congregations around us. And I want to ask you, if, if today you would say to the Lord, it, it, with, with sober reflection, and maybe you're not willing to say this right now, so I, I think this is one of those count the cost things, that you want to say to the Lord, Lord, today I want to take seriously your call for me, that you, you purchased me with your blood to make me a part of a people in a particular place to through our life together, reveal you to the world. That, that that's your plan. That we together would be witnesses of this age to come. That's already broken into the world we live in. That forgiveness is here. That humility is here. That the ability to forgive the people who've, who've treated you terribly is possible. The ability to get over how they've treated you is possible because of Jesus. The ability to love your enemies to love the poor, to, to, to be everything that you never thought you could be because of Jesus. But, but that that's all found together. It's found together. And I just want to ask you today, we're going to close in prayer. I just want you to, uh, uh, Brandon, come on up. That I'd like to ask you to make a decision before the Lord today to re-up your devotion to those things, in particular to fellowship. We'll talk about all these, but, but to identifying with the body, not just sort of when you can fit it in your schedule, when it's, you know, when it's convenient, when you like the people that are there, you know, when the person that you like to hear is up here, because uh, Jay has his groupies, his... <laughs> his teaching groupies, and I have mine, and Lisa, and whoever we get up here. Uh, but that's not why we're here, is it? We, we've tried as a church not to be personality-driven. Now, it's not hard with our personalities, <laughs> I admit. But we don't, and I'm not saying other people are. I'm not pointing my finger anywhere. I'm just saying Americans like personalities. But we really, I, I say this sincerely, I want you to fall in love with Jesus and follow Jesus. To come here to meet him. That's it. No matter who stands up here. Because that's what it's really supposed to be all about. It really is. And it's nice, you know, me and Jay and, and others, it's nice to be loved and appreciated and respected. But we don't want you to miss out on why we're supposed to be here, right? And so today, if, if you've lost sight of that and you realize, gosh, John, you're right, you know, you're, yeah, that speaks to me. I just ask you to, to open your heart up to the Lord and say, Lord, before you, I want to re-up my commitment to fellowship, to community, to loving relationships and, and connecting with people. Because I just have kind of let it slide. It, it, it just hasn't been... My highest priority, I have, I have four or five other things that I prioritize more. And that, like, that serving, that's, that's not just showing up and showing your face. It's like connecting with people in meaningful ways, being in part of a home group, serving, giving money here. 
you know, I met with a couple, a couple nights ago, and, and they, were, they, they said to me, you know, we're so glad you guys don't beg for money every week, but you do talk about it. Well, it's because it's supposed to be part of our devotion and our worship. Uh, we shouldn't have to apologize, and we, you know, we try not to hear about that. But that's part of our lives being knit together, isn't it? So we're going to sing this song. Uh, and it's just a song about we need to, to do these things, that, to, the, the aspirations that, that we get a hold of that are beyond where we are can only be accomplished if we get more of, of Jesus in us and we're, we're more filled with his spirit and, and our lives are just more awash in his grace. So if God's speaking to you about that, you know, you know whether you should raise your hand or not and the Lord knows. And so I don't, necessarily think you have to raise it right now but as we're singing this song take that need you feel and make it part of this the words of this song as we sing it and I believe the Lord will meet you and and that grace will come for you to walk this out so why don't you stand with me I want to pray and then we're going to sing and and, and we're not going to have uh, we'll have ministry time just come up front if you want prayer for something but this is going to close the service. Uh, let the Holy Spirit just move and speak to you in whatever way He wants, okay? Lord, thank You for the new thing You're doing, Father, through Your Son, Jesus, and, and now through the church, through our church here. Lord, we ask for the wind of the Holy Spirit to just blow through this room, blow through our lives as we sang earlier.